Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 45. First, I want to remind you, as I did last week, that uh, I got this suggestion from a listener to crowdsource tips and advice from people in the audience that have successfully managed to get the balance between family, job, and triathlon right. So the thinking that I had was to put together a series of short-form interviews in one single episode, probably. Uh, It could be something like rapid-fire questions about different things regarding time management and and tips and tricks to get the training in even when things are busy. Uh, So it might be an interview, it might be just uh, the listeners that are interested voicemailing me some answers to some predefined questions that I would send you uh, so that we don't even have to schedule an interview and uh, make time for that. So the format is a bit open still, but uh, what I'm doing right now is to just collecting names of people that think that they would uh, fit the bill. And uh, if you are, please uh, put your name in the hat, so to say, because uh, you are doing all other listeners a massive favor by doing so, by helping out in just uh, giving your tips and advice for how you have managed to find uh, this sort of uh, balance and, and what it is that allows you to do to handle everything and, and juggle everything. So to wrap this up, send an email to michael at scientifictriathlon.com and it's Michael with a K if uh, you are interested in helping out by sharing your advice. All right. And thank you to our sponsors as usual. First, we have Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Take their free online sweat test. That will give you an individual hydration strategy for your next race. And uh, use the promo code that Traffle show all on word, all caps, to get your first box for free. If you have already used that until the end of August, remember that we have a special promo that is uh, limited time only. Uh, this promo code is that Traffle show two zero. So that Traffle show all caps and then a two zero, and that will give you twenty percent off any order. So you can actually make a bigger order and stock up on electrolytes that will take you through a lot of training sessions and races. Uh, hopefully so again go to precisionhydration.com and uh, check them out next we have roca roca is the brand that redefines the standard in wetsuits trisuits eyewear and several other triathlon and endurance sports categories they are used by some of the best athletes in the world like that i've name dropped many many times already but also when you look at quantifying things one great example showing how roca is uh, really really valued among the best of the best is that in kona the ironman world championships the swim skin count which brand has the most swim skins present among the professional athletes roca has been winning for several consecutive years so that goes to show that roca swim skins are evidently the swim skins that are the most trusted i don't know that there are any wetsuit counts in uh, or trisuit counts in other races the hawaii is the big dance so it's uh, obvious that that's where you would do those sorts of things you also tend to see bike counts and power meter counts i've seen uh, either way uh, roca puts a lot of time effort and money into their r&d to make sure that their stuff is as fast as uh, it can possibly be and uh, the pro athletes are picking up on it and i think us age groupers should uh, too so check them out on roca.com and use the promo code tts to get 20 percent off your entire order so the first question that we have for today 
is uh, a correction actually from uh, last week. It, that was the question from uh, Itai in Israel. He asked uh, about uh, the body using uh, more carbs as the intensity rises. But the question was, what uh, should you base that on heart rate or pace when running? And similarly, should you base it on power or heart rate when cycling? And his example was that he had gone for a steady zone two pace run for an hour 45 minutes. But uh, And the heart rate started out in zone two, but climbed all the way to zone four because it got really hot and humid. And uh, the question there is, was that, uh, did his body use uh, more carbohydrate or more fat as fuel for that run? Because pace-wise, it would have been uh, fat because it was a zone 2 run. But uh, but uh, heart rate-wise, it uh, rose to zone 4. So it, would be, it was much more intense than that and would have been carbohydrate-based. So uh, what I answered there was that, that heart rate isn't necessarily uh, a direct proxy for uh, for energy production in the cells and heart rate can increase and decrease for other factors as well among them heat uh, which is correct but uh, actually uh, Lockie who you heard on Monday's interview uh, my uh, fellow coach here at Scientific Triathlon he pointed out that heat can in fact change the fat and carbohydrate utilization so that in hotter weathers you do use more carbohydrate. And uh, there is a paper that I'll link to in the episode description called Modulation of Carbohydrate and Fat Utilization by Diet, Exercise and Environment. It's by Asker Jokendrup, so one of the most well-respected endurance sports nutrition researchers in uh, the world. And uh, he goes into basically some theories of why this is, why carbohydrate consumption or utilization increases as the weather gets hotter so to answer your question there itai in that case when heart rate might have been rising due to the heat uh, that heat could also cause your carbohydrate utilization to increase so i wanted to correct that because uh, my answer wasn't entirely correct in last week's episode and thank you to lucky for for pointing me to that resource and and uh, and having this uh, information in the first place uh, so uh, by the way one more thing uh, i noticed when i reading this paper by asker jokendrup uh, the same is actually also true for unusually cold conditions that your carb uh, to fat utilization can increase in or sway in favor of carbohydrate when you're training in unusually cold conditions so that's quite interesting all right so that was last week's question and the correction to that the first real question for today is uh, from oscar in venezuela who writes i'm used to train quite intensely intensively for 7.3s in order to compete in my age group Recently, I started training for an Ironman and I have, been f- I have been focusing a lot on building base miles both on the bike and the run. I recently tested my FTP on the bike with the 2 times 8 minutes test and surprisingly it matched my all-time best FTP from when I was training hard for 7.3. At this point, it feels like this long, slow distance training is really improving how I feel during long workouts but I really don't understand how I've managed to maintain my best bike numbers without doing any intense training. This makes me wonder if there is actually a need to train for Ironman, if there is actually a need to train hard for the Ironman distance, or if I could just keep doing base miles and improving my aerobic base. Okay, thank you, Oscar, for your question. Uh, so uh, let's uh, get into this a little bit. It's a very interesting question. So you did your FTP test as uh, two times eight minutes. And uh, 
the interesting thing here is that, that the first and the second one will have slightly different energy requirements. But uh, if you just consider the first one, which is way easier, then an eight-minute effort on the bike would be powered by somewhere in the region of 88 to 95 percent aerobic energy. And only 5 to 12% of the energy would come from anaerobic energy production in endurance trained athletes. So this is, I've sampled uh, my athletes and athletes that I work with in different capacities, whether it's, uh, it's consultations or things like that. Basically, any athletes that I have good, reliable data from. And, and they all fall in this range of 88 to 95% of aerobic metabolism for an eight minute effort. So, uh, so it's pretty evident that it's such an aerobically dominated effort that if you improve your aerobic base, you are absolutely going to see that impact big time in an eight-minute test. And it doesn't matter how you improve that aerobic base, whether it's long, slow distance or whether it's more intense training. But if you improve your, your aerobic uh, endurance simply, then you are going to see that impact. An Ironman bike, on the other hand, if we compare that to the 8-minute test, that's more than 99% powered by the aerobic metabolism and less than 1% of the anaerobic metabolism. Uh, but uh, imagine that you're already maybe on that upper end, so you're using 95% of aerobic metabolism for an 8-minute effort. Then that means that this 8-minute effort is heavily skewed towards the Ironman side of things. So an 8-minute effort is more similar to an Ironman bike uh, compared to, for example, a 1-minute effort, which broadly speaking might be around a 50-50 split between aerobic and anaerobic uh, energy production. Uh, so that is very interesting and something that's not uh, perhaps that well understood or commonly known, uh, I should say. So all this to say, it makes sense that the training that you have been doing, which has improved your aerobic base, has also been reflected in that eight-minute test because it is very aerobic and it is sort of similar to an Ironman bike, even as funny as it sounds. Uh, however, uh, as you know, you can improve your aerobic fitness either with doing this long, slow-distance base building or by doing intensity or by doing both. And my question to you is, why choose just one? Why not go for both and not put all your eggs in one basket? You definitely don't need to do massive amounts of intensity, but doing even just one hard high-intensity bike session per week can really help you keep improving and help you avoid reaching a performance plateau. Uh, because I think that at some point, a focus on just base miles long slow distance it may stop yielding improvements because the body gets used to that stimulus over time and uh, i think that don't get me wrong if you have time a lot of time to train you can keep improving to a very good level with just base building but it you need to have time both like a lot of time every single week but also you need to probably these improvements manifest themselves over years and years so it's not something that you're going to see super quickly necessarily you need to be very patient with that type of training as any endurance athlete should be but especially if you go that base building route which is a good way to go but then you need to be aware that this these things they take time to to really uh, turn into into fitness adaptations that you can see power wise on on different distances so uh, so my question then is uh, you can have both you don't need to choose either or to get down in a little bit of a technical rabbit hole as for why having both is a good thing, 
the reason here is that a key factor for endurance adaptations is the amount and the activity of a very famous protein uh, called PGC1-alpha. Uh, PGC1-alpha is uh, something that can directly uh, induce adaptations, the most uh, favorable endurance adaptations that we get from endurance exercise. And these would be uh, mitochondrial uh, biogenesis, so more mitochondria, which are the, uh, the powerhouses of the, of the cell, uh, angiogenesis, so uh, capillarization, and increases in fat oxidation. Now, there are a couple of different options for how to actually uh, turn on that PGC1-alpha activity. And, uh, and it turns out that uh, one major pathway is intensive exercise, and another major pathway is extensive exercise, so the long, slow distance or base building that you mentioned. So the, when we know this, instead of relying on just one of these pathways, we can actually use both. It's like how you could fill a bathtub way quicker if you open two taps of water rather than just one. I, I'm not saying that it's a straight analogy like that. It's not as simple as that, obviously, but, but I think it makes sense to use both. And finally, I think that actually the most compelling evidence for why you should do both is that you won't find a single professional athlete or or even a single high-level amateur like a Kona podium, podium finisher that completely skips intensity when training for an Ironman. And uh, that is uh, the best evidence of all, in my opinion, that we, we should have both. So we should model patterns of the people that have had the most success in any given field, whether it's triathlon or outside of it. Training is not that complicated. We know a lot uh, already just based on what has worked for uh, a lot of people in the past. I'm not talking about uh, extreme outliers, but things that you see repeated time and time again among the best in the world. And that is to do a lot of training at low intensities, but they also do high intensity training. And uh, it's not that different either for amateurs compared to the pros. We can take... Uh, them as models although we of course have less time to train all that being said i'm not saying either that you should do uh, the same amount or the same extent or the same intensity of intensity every single week of the year uh, there can definitely be ebbs and flows in this maybe you take some periods of the year where you just focus on your base building I'm not necessarily a fan, fan of that, to be honest. I try to keep some intensity in there throughout the year, but it definitely changes its nature. But uh, but I, I think that it can absolutely work for some people, and especially if you have a lot of time to do that, like really do like a sort of pro-cyclist approach to base building, that can uh, be a good way to go for sure. So uh, I'm not saying that you should do the same kind of workout every single week or anything like that or the same amount of intensity there will be changes to that but in your build up to the Ironman you should in my opinion have some intensity in there so I hope that this answers your question Oscar the next question is from Fredrik in Sweden who writes that I'm planning to do my first lactate lab test sometime this autumn in order to get some baseline values for my base building phase in autumn and winter what got me thinking is uh, when should I schedule this test? I have my last serious trail race of the season at the end of August, and I will probably take two to three really easy training weeks after this in order to recover after a summer of fairly high stress training and racing. Good man, Fredrik. That's uh, the thing to do, the right thing to do for sure. 
I will probably start to ramp up my training late September and get back on a fairly high volume early October. Should I do the test in proximity to my last race or a few weeks into my base building training phase when I have gotten back in, into the groove after the rest period? All right. Thank you, Frederick, for your question. Uh, you do answer your own question there with that, that second option that you that you say about doing it a few weeks into your base building phase. That is exactly what I recommend that you do. So after your couple of weeks of uh, really easy training or rest, uh, you get back into training. You do, uh, let's say, at least two and up to four weeks where you are building back into training. And in that period, two to four weeks after getting back to to your more normal training, that's when, not, not necessarily normal training, but just two to four weeks after resuming training after the break. That's what I'm saying. In, in that phase is where, or that period is when I would take the, the test. So you don't want to do it uh, immediately because just getting straight off the couch, your body is going to, uh, to do things very differently than even after just two weeks of, of consistent endurance training. But as well, you don't want to make it too late because you actually want to maximize the benefits from the test by being able to use the results that you get from it for the most amount of time possible. So uh, so that's the thinking. That's why I think that two to four weeks after resuming training is uh, is a good uh, period to, to shoot for taking that lactate test. I think it's much better than taking it uh, in proximity to your last race because then, uh, well, I mean, you could do that. And uh, we talked about this on the show before that the heart rate zones that you would get from a lactate test, they stay fairly constant. So you could still use them and it might be a cool thing to do to see like when you are really uh, at the peak of your fitness uh, what was your what were your lactate values and what did your lactate curve look like and especially if you do it again the next year it's really interesting to get that sort of comparison and com- and try to make correlations between your results and the lactate curve that that led to those results so i'm not saying that it's wrong but i just think that that for the training purpose which i think is the main purpose of taking a lactate test anyway to maximize the effectiveness of your training then it makes a bit more sense to do it early on in the base building phase because then uh, even though the pace and power zones that you that you get will change with time so you can't really rely on them for too long but the heart rate zones will stay the same but but at the beginning phases you can also get an idea of of the power and uh, and pace zones from the test that you're taking which gives you a good starting point and then what you can do is to start to figure out let's say that your your endurance running should be uh, sub uh, or slower than five minutes per kilometer and uh, and then you start to run a lot of your uh, your endurance runs at let's say five ten or something like that uh, and and you start to get a feel for what it feels like you can correlate the rpe the rating of perceived exertion uh, that you are running at and and then you know that even a few weeks or months into your training phase when you're running 445 per kilometer and it feels exactly the same you know that okay my lactate is probably right where it should be so it's not no big deal and also my heart rate validates it so so that's that's another reason that it might make more sense to do it at the start of the base building phase because you do get a sort of starting point for your pace and power zones even though as said the heart rate zones are the ones that will be more sticky and that will be usable for the longer term. 
One more thing to add, if you are a more experienced endurance athlete, then that means that your body will more will be quicker to get back towards its normal as soon as you start uh, training again. So for example, if you have five years of very solid training in you, then even after just two weeks of resuming training, you will be already getting quite fit and, and you will be completely fine to do that lactate test. Maybe for somebody who's only done two years of endurance sport before and before that a life on uh, sitting as a sedentary or at least many years as a sedentary individual, maybe they might be better served actually waiting three or even four weeks and not doing it right after two weeks of resuming training uh, just to give the body a bit more time to adapt to uh, to where they will be for the large part of their training phase. Uh, then again, there's always a compromise that this athlete probably has the most need for the results because they don't have the same intuitive feel for where they should be in terms of intensity in their training. So you, they don't want to wait too long either uh, and not let it let two months pass and still not having taken the test. But that's just another uh, consideration for you. The, the athletic experience, if you will, can have a little bit of an impact in how you do it. But in general, I think for most about anybody, two to four weeks after resuming training is a good time. The next question is also from Sweden. Uh, thank you, uh, everybody from Sweden, for being so active listeners. I really appreciate that. Uh, this from, is from Erik, who writes that uh, when life happens, as for example, let's say I can't swim for a week, but I can add some more bike rides or uh, running workouts, should I do so? Should I add these bikes or runs? And in that case, uh, which workouts should I prioritize? Uh, my thinking is that I want to keep the week uh, pretty much the same as my plan. And actually, uh, Eric is using one of uh, my uh, plans on Training Peaks. So he's uh, he's asking about how to change this plan when when life happens. Uh, my thinking is that I want to keep uh, this week uh, similar to the uh, training stress score planned and that an easy week should be easy, uh, a hard week should remain hard, etc. And then I just uh, add on uh, technical training or endurance training in whatever discipline I can manage. And ideally it would be swimming or cycling since it's uh, less taxing on the body than running. But what are your thoughts? Uh, okay, thank you, Eric, for your question, and thank you for using my training plan as well. Uh, first, uh, one caveat for for all the listeners: if you actually have an individual coach, then you should ask them what to do when life happens, and let them help you with this. It's not. I'm not saying that you should uh, just completely remove your own responsibility, but you should uh, definitely not just go and do things off the cuff without first uh, telling your coach about it. So discuss that with your coach. But otherwise, for all listeners that either have a training plan that uh, you uh, bought or that you created yourself, you're a self-coach athlete. Uh, if you are one of these athletes, then the following uh, that I will say I think applies for most of you. And that is that, yes, uh, Eric, absolutely right. You want to keep your, your easy weeks easy and your hard weeks hard uh, when that is possible. Uh, so, but in some cases, something major might happen so let's say that you you have to travel for work it comes up unexpectedly and uh, you really can't keep a hard challenging week hard the same way that you plan to then actually it might make sense to to move 
an easy week forward and make that week the easy week then that you're traveling anyway uh, you need to take into account things like travel and stress that uh, it might not be the recovery week that it was supposed to be so so be sure to be in tune with your body and uh, and if you need a little bit of extra training once you get back home and can actually recover in the routine of your your own home and your own normal routines that's fine do that as well just the idea is to make sure that you you balance hard training with hard recovery uh, but but that's a situation that happens and uh, quite a lot actually at least uh, in in my own uh, coaching client sample it does happen quite a lot so uh, so based based on that i would say that be prepared to do that to change a hard week to an easy week and then you basically move switch weeks around that way when something major happens but if it's just something minor that as you said you you can't swim but you can do everything else then yeah keep the easy week easy the hard weeks hard and uh, and as you say i would just add technical training and endurance training in whatever discipline you can manage in in most cases there are some exceptions for example let's say that you you are doing in the original plan you might have had free swims free bikes and free runs in a week and let's say that you for some reason your pool closes you so you can't swim at all so you only have free bikes and and free runs and you decide to add uh, two more bikes and uh, and one more run and maybe in the original plan you only had uh, you had one one intense bike ride and one intense run and one intense swim or two intense swims perhaps then since you now are going to have five bikes because you added two of them because you lost three swims and you had one run then you might want to make one of those rides that you added a hard ride because after all you also lost two hard swims so you're losing some intensity to the week so uh, so it's not necessarily that you always should just add technical and and endurance training but you also need to to consider that if you do more training in those individual disciplines can you actually recover since you will be doing more monotonous training from the perspective that you'll be doing more training in the same discipline so so don't overdo it it's always better to err on the side of caution and make sure that you can remain consistent and when you are going to do those quality those high intensity workouts that you actually manage to do them as intensely as planned so so don't go overboard with this but i think that there is a time and place where you can add some intensity in there as well when life happens as you say and as for which disciplines to add uh, if uh, let's say it's not just a swim that that goes to pan in this case it might be whatever discipline you're right that if, if you're well balanced as an athlete then uh, then maybe prioritizing swimming and cycling makes sense it's less taxing less of an injury risk you still get uh, a lot of general aerobic training which is great uh, and uh, and you can recover slightly faster from them than from running for almost everybody then absolutely go for them uh, but you can also consider what are your weak strengths and weaknesses so it might make sense to if the opportunity arises to to work on on your weaknesses so so let's say that the running is your weakness and you find yourself in a position where your pool is closed and you have two weeks without swimming uh for four weeks without swimming so you basically have no no choice maybe what you do do in that situation is to just choose to focus on on running so you keep the cycling the way it was originally planned and uh, you add add running uh, I should add, by the way, I take this back a little bit because you don't want to jump from uh, like 
make two big jumps in running volume. So in this case, maybe instead of if we take the same example as I used last time, you lose three swims. I would I would not add three runs uh, to to the three runs you originally had. But you might want to add two runs and one bike. And one of those runs that you add could be really, really short, just a 20 to 30 minute run. And the other run could be a bit longer uh, to make sure that you don't go overboard with how big of an increase in the total volume you make. Maybe you just try to get in an extra an extra hour of running in, in that first week and maybe an extra hour, 15 minutes in the second week if in this scenario we have two weeks without a pool. So again, minimizing risk there make sure that you can stay consistent but uh, but working on considering your strengths and weaknesses is another thing that i would do and that also goes for when it comes to the the technical uh, versus fitness aspects so if for example you have an opportunity to do more swimming and the technical aspect is a limiter for you then quite a lot of the, the added swimming because you can't bike for example or you can't run might be technically focused so it doesn't have to be hard but you're just working on technique so so that's another aspect to consider for sure what are your strengths and weaknesses so i think these are the major things to to consider when it comes to how to change the plan when when life happens uh, oh, one more thing by the way i i don't think it makes sense to think too much about the training stress score specifically the tss numbers you don't need to to focus on hitting a certain number of tss because not all tss is created equal as we talked about before and also tss isn't necessarily the best metric anyway to go by even if it were created equal so so i would say i honestly prefer to use duration as the primary way to measure training load and then i just have the intuitive feel for well how hard is this week just by looking at the structure of the week and that, I think, is what makes the most sense to do. And then TSS will uh, maybe help you validate that a bit. So definitely look at it. You don't, you don't need to ignore it. Uh, but, but you need to be aware of its limitations. That's uh, the only thing that I'm saying. And, and I get so many emails about TSS that, that I'm getting more and more and more aware that a lot of people are not aware of the limitations of TSS and uh, the uh, imperfections of it, which is why I'm... Uh, I may come across sometimes as a TSS critic. I'm not necessarily that, but it just comes with a ton of caveats. That's all I'm saying. All right, hope this helps you, Eric. And uh, finally, I got uh, a question that I want to answer really quickly because it's a time-sensitive one. Uh, it's from Brian in the US who writes, I'm racing in 10 days in Cleveland at the US Age Group National Championships. What kind of advice would you give athletes who end up racing in the later waves on how to time their warm-ups? Uh, for me, transition closes at 6.45 and my wave doesn't start until 8.22. Should I even bother to ride the bike from 6 to 6.20 like I would normally and then jog from 6.25 to 6.35? Or should I just relax and rest until 7.45, then do strides on the beach before putting on the wetsuit? Thank you, Brian, for your question. Uh, so what I would say here is that, uh, yes, I would ride the bike before putting it into transition, uh, primarily you want to check that everything is in order still on the morning of with the bike but since you're on the bike anyway be sure to wake up the legs by doing a few bursts of intensity something like three times one minute to threshold or above so so you would do that as you say before putting in transition maybe it's six o'clock to six twenty. it's a for sure like it's two hours before your 
race, but uh, it's still uh, probably it still probably has a little bit of a benefit. And if nothing else, psychologically, I think it it does have a benefit. And and the major thing there is that you can actually check your bike, and it works well in all the gears. Then for running, I would actually suggest that you do something different to what you suggest. What I would do is to bike as late as possible, but without causing myself stress about uh, checking everything in transition. So you might actually start your bike ride at uh, maybe 6.10 and bike from 6.10 to 6.30 and then check in the transition. Transition closes at 6.45. And uh, then you might rest for a while eh? and uh, you might start your run at, let's say, 7.20. Run for 20 minutes. We're at 7.40. And that run as well, by the way, should include a few bursts of intensity, uh, something like the three times one minute to threshold or above. Then you get changed into your wetsuit and get ready. So that would be around 7.45, as you say in your uh, question. And then do your swim warm-up so that you give yourself at least 15 minutes in the water and you finish the warm-up as late as possible, as close to the race as possible. And usually you would have to expect to wait at least 10 minutes before the start on shore. That's okay. Sometimes it might be even more, but it's still worth going through this all. And now you manage to actually run way closer to the race than in your original plan because you waited until 7.20. So you did the run uh, after after doing the transition check-in. And of course, by the way, what you need for this is to have a second pair of running shoes with you. So you would not do that warm-up in your race shoes because they would be in transition already. I have an episode on race day warm-ups that I'll link to in the episode description. It's episode 35. And I'll also link to the paper by Asker Jokendrup that I mentioned in the first question or the correction for last week's question. That's a wrap for this week's episode. Thank you to our sponsors, uh, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Use the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all on word, all caps, to get your first box or tube for free. Or use the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW20 to get 20% off your entire order. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. That's R-O-K-A.com. And check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear and get 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon. <laughs>